Everybody is a victim. We all have received a raw deal. The truth is, life is just not fair. I am not mocking anyone, but merely stating the obvious. Nobody comes into this world unscathed. We are fallen individuals. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's dastardly deed sent the world and all the inhabitants into the mire of deep, dark, and unsalvageable sin. There are no exceptions to this rule. But it gets worse After we arrived into this cursed world, people began piling on, hurting us. We have been hurt by more people than just what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. And not to be outdone, we have hurt others too, which leaves us with the most crucial question that we could ask ourselves. Will our negative narratives rule us? The story of our lives, will that story rule us or will we flip those tragedies and make them into redemptive stories? That's what I want to talk about in this podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. You could say that I'm talking about discontentment, just not happy with how my life has rolled out. Sometimes the cumulative effect of just one disappointment on the heels of another disappointment It can have a traumatic effect on us, and sometimes we can miss the fact that God is working in these narratives, and he wants to flip it, as we are quite familiar with Joseph's response to all the horrific things that happened to him. He said, you meant it for evil, as he was talking to his brothers who did some dastardly things to him, but God meant it. For good. And so we have the opportunity to think through this narrative of our lives and then begin to appeal to God, to implore Him, to teach us, show us how we can flip the bad things that have happened to us and turn them into a redemptive story. If you want to read this article I'm sharing with you, the title of it is To Those Who Are Angry with God for the Life They Have. And so you can read, you can watch, you can listen. You can go on our website, you find this article. There is a podcast that is embedded in it as well as a video. Now, in addition to that, there are a whole lot of embedded links because we do meticulously craft these articles in such a way that you can take one article and you can spend six weeks in it reading all of the supplemental linked articles, and it can give you a a good perspective on the subject matter. And of course, the subject matter here is how to flip the narrative of our lives to take a bad story and turn it into a redemptive story for God's fame, for our benefit, and also uh, the benefit of many people. Who knows uh, what God is doing in your life? Well, God does, and that's why we want to appeal to him so that we can rethink how 
how our story can be used in a redemptive way. And so let me begin by you know talking about how I came into the world, which is no different from how you came into the world too. I was born in the home of sinful parents. I had no choice about that, and neither did you. The Lord did not ask us about our family of origin preferences. He gave me, he gave you a, a set of parents, and into the world I came. Now, when I came into the world, there were three boys that were waiting on me. I was number four, and then there was another boy that came later. There were five boys born in the space of seven years in a box, in a, a little rectangular red brick house with two parents. As I reflect on it, it really didn't matter where I was born or who my parents or my siblings were because all families are the same in that every family is corrupt, totally depraved sinners in need of the transformative gospel. If there happens to be any difference between my family and and your family, well, the differences are the, the intrinsic peculiarities of our natures and the extent of our sinfulness, but not the fact of our collective fallenness. All families are fallen because every individual within that family unit is fallen, even though we acted out in different ways. And like me, my parents and siblings, they were victims of sin's curse. Through Adam, sin entered into the world and his corrupting toxins spread to all people. My family had no say-so about being sinful. For all have sinned, the Bible's declaration is clear. But we are not helpless victims. There is a way to get out from under the control and the corruption of sin. Each person must choose to be born a second time, which is what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. We call that regeneration. It is a second birth or being saved. And so though we had no choice about coming into this world as Adamic fallen creatures born inside a, a fallen home, we do have a choice about being born a second time a new creation in Christ. Redemption makes the Lord Jesus different from the rest of us. I said earlier that there are no exceptions about people coming into this world being born corrupted. Well, there is one exception, and that was Jesus Christ. He was not born in Adam, and that difference qualifies him to save us from what happened to us, our first birth. And though Christ is the answer, it can it can sound too simplistic for some people. It can really be hard for some people to grasp what it means to be born a second time because of what happened after their first birth. I recall many years ago, I was talking to a lady named Pat Martinez. The year was 1989, and we were in Queens, New York. She was a heroin-addicted prostitute who came to a church meeting in response to my plea to her to attend that church meeting on Wednesday night, two days earlier. I met her on a Monday. God did regenerate Pat Martinez eventually, but not on that night, not on that Wednesday night after the preacher preached his message and invited people to come down to the front and talk about being born again. 
Pat was not saved that night. She was saved a couple of months later. But on that night, she was very clear to me about the impossibility of navigating the horror story that had been her life. As the preacher was giving the invitation for people to come down and talk to folks about being saved, I went over and put my arms around Pat, and I I talked to her. I'd already shared the gospel with her two days earlier. But she said this to me, and I'll paraphrase. She said, Rick, you do not understand. You're talking about peace and love and hope and mercy and heaven. All I know is darkness and drugs and murder and prostitution and hell. I cannot possibly comprehend what you are saying. That is what she told me that Wednesday night. Now, most of us have not had Pat's story, but we have struggled in our unique ways. I've talked with many children who are adults now, but they continue to struggle with how their parents parented them. They strongly feel victimized by the sin of their parents and maybe even the sin of others as other people have piled on to the accumulative trauma and the horrific stories that make up their lives. These people that I've talked to for more than a quarter of a century now, they have been honest and they have been vulnerable about their truth claims. And I would never, ever minimize or dismiss people or their stories about what happened happened to them. I think that would be I think that would be cruel. The sad part with many of them is how they still harbor low-grade anger toward their parents, maybe toward other people who hurt them. I understand this temptation. I was one angry young man as I came came up through the ranks of adulthood because of many of the disappointments, specifically the disappointing and hurtful people in my life. And as you talk to some people, that even their civility masks their low-grade churning. If you listen to their tones and their word choices, you can hear this angst that they still carry in their heart, that they're harboring because they're still working through. They have yet to work through what happened to them. They may call it disappointment or discouragement. Perhaps it is regret or unresolved guilt. Maybe it's unforgiveness or hurt or even sadness about their formative years. It could be all of those things, but the accumulative effect of their disappointment can leave them cynical. It can leave them bitter, bitter. and regardless of their interpretation, it's still anger. Is some form of anger that they have, and it has a, a way of blinding them from seeing the merciful hand of God in their past. Not understanding how God is in their histories, it feeds their anger as they rehearse what happened to them. When anger sits too long on the shelves of our hearts, it spoils It turns bitter, which will eventually leach out, and it will not only defile the bitter person, but it will defile all of those who are within vicinity of their contagion. I'm not condoning what people did to them. I'm not, and I don't want you to hear that. I'm not suggesting that those hurtful individuals were unable to do better. Sometimes we can just get in a spot where we can't do better. I remember as a 17-year-old boy, I prayed to a God that I did not know that he would just kill me. 
I was too chicken to uh, commit suicide, but I really wanted to die. I wanted to escape the prison of my life, and I felt not only a victim to it, but completely unable to get out of it with no future prospects of things ever being any better. And I know now that even as a parent, I know that I have I could have done better to our children. I've made mistakes. Now I'm on the parenting side of life, not on the child side. And I understand how hard it is to parent. The practical outworking of my salvation is still imperfect at best. And so I'm not making excuses here. I was born in darkness. I was born outside the boundaries of God's love. There are areas of darkness that I have still yet to overcome. In fact, it is this reality is that what the Lord used to help me to stop hating my dad. I've talked about that in a recent podcast is now I am on the parenting side of children and I can understand how difficult it is and I can see the mistakes of my own parenting. And because of that, it has created a humbling effect in my own life, which God has used to help me to soften my heart toward my father. The darkness that I was born into, as I have described to you here, and the parts that I've yet to overcome, as I have been saying, they have motivated me to look for another option. And I trust that's your case too. The darkness that you were born into and the complicating factors that have been layered over your life. It is a dark, fallen world. And I trust that the darkness is the motivation that makes you want to find something else, something else that is far better. How would I know about darkness if there was no opposing light? Light and love are the counterbalancing opposites of darkness and evil. We would not know darkness. We would not know evil if we were not aware that there is light and love somewhere out there. And like evil, love requires an antithesis too. We have love and hate. We have good and evil. We have light and darkness. If everything were love, there would be no real understanding or appreciation or experience of love. Love needs a perimeter to give us a comparative perspective and fuller knowledge of God's amazingness. The practical truth is what the Lord did for Adam. He told him love had a perimeter and he must not transgress it. Listen to what God told Adam in Genesis chapter number two, verses 16 and 17. He said this, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God was clear to Adam. Within those boundaries of love, he would have an incredible experience of worship and peace and goodness and many other benefits for his soul. 
when John wrote about these matters in John in 1 John chapter 4 verse number 8 he simply stated God is love let me paraphrase for you John said this God is love and if you want to experience love stick with him if you want to experience the opposite of love transgress love's line outside of love is evil judgment wrath This striking truth is what makes peace and love and mercy so profound. We who have lived under the Lord's wrath, we who have lived in darkness, we victims of Adam's fall, we who have been pummeled and hurt by other people as we live out these dark, tragic stories and have been saved, by his grace, then we are the ones who fully appreciate these mercies from God because we have not only have experienced darkness, but we have seen darkness's antithesis, which is light and love. Christians need to understand that the Lord has reached into our dark stories and he has brought us into the light. We have something to compare it to. Love has a perimeter and so does darkness. And because of the darkness, we are compelled to long for the light. And if God has reached into your life and has brought you into the light, now you know the difference between light and darkness, love and hate, good and evil. Our kind and merciful God gave us a new and permanent condition. We are people of the light, no longer walking in darkness. Though we have a corrupt former manner of life that may continue to hamper and hinder us, that former life is no longer who we are. Our identity is entirely in Christ. He has brought us inside the boundaries of love. Just like God told Adam and Eve, you stay within the perimeter of love and it will be a worshipful, fantastic, loving, merciful experience. And we have that opportunity now as children of the light. Perhaps you can, maybe this analogy will work for you. Think about love like a big, beautiful living room situated in the middle of a home, surrounded by many other rooms, and all of those other rooms around this big living room are evil rooms. Grace, mercy, faith, joy, peace, hope, and purity are inside your new living room where you reside. If you choose to leave this room, you will begin to experience evil and hate and anger and shame and depression and and fear. The world the Lord created was a room of love, but it has boundaries. Outside of his love is evil, and he gives humanity a choice as to whether we want to live within the limits of love or experience the evil that waits outside the door. Adam and Eve chose to transgress love's boundaries, and when they did, they experienced the corruption that came with their unbelief. Their consequence was not God's fault. Adam was the one who brought chaos to the human condition. His deliberate act sent the world spinning out of control. Because of his choice, you and I suffer. 
But the Lord did not create people where love is robotically mandated. No, we have a choice. He did give us the ability to choose love and love's ways or to choose evil and evil's ways. We have a choice, just like he told Adam and Eve. To sin or not to sin is our choice, not a decision that the Lord will make for us. You and I have to decide which path we are going to take. If we do not choose the way of God's love, there will be proportional fallout just like in the days of Adam. Too many people blame God for the evil in our world. We accuse the Lord of not being there when our worst fears came to pass. The sinful world we live in is not the sinless world he created. The world we live in was made evil by someone else. Adam chose to walk on the wild side. He wanted darkness over light, death over life, wrath over love. He pushed the boundaries of God's love, a choice that brought us a cursed world that we were born into. The darkness that we were plummeted and plopped down into is a world that Adam basically created. To blame the Lord is as illogical as standing in the heat of a sweltering summer day and cursing the sun because you are sweating. All of us were born under the sun's heat, and until we choose differently, we will always experience the adverse effects of the sun's heat. I wish it could have been another way for you. I wish you and I were not born from sinners, as sinners, to sinners, surrounded by sinners, It would be nice to be born in a place like Genesis 1 and 2, the world the Lord created for his creation, the place where love was. To some degree, and somehow, you were ripped off by somebody. But there is good news. Just because you had a horrible experience, it does not mean you have to stay there. None of us got the life that we wanted. I didn't. I mean, that is a sad consequence of sin's curse, but it doesn't have to leave you or me despairing. The same good Lord who gave us a perfect world has created a plan to provide us with another ideal world. Rather than blaming the Lord for what happened to you, Rather than me blaming the Lord for what happened to me, I can, I can bless his holy name for his redemptive plan for my life, and you can too. The Lord has not given up on us. The original intent for humanity can come to you if you want it to come to you. The garden is gone. The consequences of the fall remain, but you do not have to be held down by sin. You have to choose to continue to allow sin's domination to rule over you or call out to the Lord asking him to help you claim the victory that Jesus Christ provides for you. Be a victim no more. God is asking you to do what he asked Adam to do. He wants you to trust him. There is a sweet love found in the heart of God but you have to do something to get it. James was very clear. Faith without works is dead. 
God told Adam what he could and could not do in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, which I shared with you. It was his decision regarding life or death, and it's yours too. If you continue to hold on to your victim card, you will never experience the love of God the way God wants you to enjoy it. It will cause more alienation from the life you could have with God. There is no minimizing what I am suggesting. I would not pretend that what happened to you is not real and that it it does not hurt. But let's face it, you did not get the life that you wanted. I did not get the life that I had hoped for. And perhaps you were an angry teenager like me, and you hoped that you would have a better life circumstance. I get it. I really do understand. I I hear you, as I was sharing earlier, as that 17-year-old boy who really wanted his life to end. That's what I wanted. I was hurt. I was lonely. I was discouraged. I was angry. What I could not realize is how this is the way that everybody lives. No exceptions. Expecting a Genesis 1 and 2 lifestyle in a post-Genesis 3 world is misguided thinking. Looking backward, thinking about how things could have been while hoping for a different outcome in the future will not change you. It will not change anyone. The Lord has something better for you. And though he did not create your mess, he has a plan to walk you through your mess, whatever it may be, which is exactly what Paul learned when he finally recalibrated his suffering through a God-centered worldview. I want to wrap up this podcast by sharing with you how Paul recalibrated his thinking about the suffering that came into his life. He succinctly communicates that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is what he says. For we do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. I don't want you to be unaware about the hardship that came into our life. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life Itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul recalibrated his mind about the hardship that came into his life. In these a few sentences that I just read to you in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us six things that you need to respond to. I want to ask you six questions based on this text of Scripture. And if you answer the questions carefully and correctly, you can get what you want in time. Not freedom from suffering, this is key, but resurrection grace that will release you from the curse of sin's hardships. And so here are six questions that come right out of this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. I, w- I would encourage you to highlight this passage of Scripture. The first thing he said is, I don't want you to be ignorant about what was going on with us. And so question number one is about ignorance or unawareness. Here's the question. How does the Bible inform your suffering? Now, that is something that you'll have to think through. Uh, you, you just can't 
probably just can't answer the question like right now, but you're going to have to sit down and think about it. How, or maybe, maybe the question should be this, how should the Bible inform your suffering? We don't want to be ignorant. This is what Paul was saying. I don't want you to be unaware of what was happening to us. Question number two, affliction. I don't want you to be ignorant about the affliction that happened to us in Asia. The question is, what God-centered conclusions have you come to about your suffering? Now, again, that may take some time for you to reflect. Number three, despairing. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we suffered in Asia. We despaired of life. Do you spend more time thinking about your problems or God who is in your problems. If you spend more time thinking about your problems, it's going to lead to despair. That's why it's vital that we not be ignorant about a God-centered view of suffering. Number four, self-reliance. God said, Paul said, these things came into our lives to teach us not to rely on ourselves. In what ways do you choose to rely on yourself because you do not trust God to give you what you want? And then question number five is about God-reliance. He don't want us to rely on ourselves, but rely on him who raises the dead. The question is, what do you need to let go of to trust God, to rely on the Lord? And then finally, number six, resurrection, to rely on him who raises the dead. What are some ways to clarify that you are relying on him who raises the dead? These are reflective questions that will take your time. You received a lousy deal. You were born in sin, and your co-conspirators shaped you sinfully, which makes you normal. It was not God's intended design for his creation, and so he developed a plan to reverse the curse, your curse, my curse. You now have the opportunity to flip the narrative of your life. What evil meant for evil You can transform for your good and God's glory. Perhaps change is too hard for you to do alone. It is for most people. The best place to change is in a community. If we can help you, it would be a joy to serve you. If we can help you in any way, please take advantage of our resources on our website. The title of this podcast is To Those Who Are Angry With God For The Life They Have. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.